you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 24. We're going to continue the series we started last week on, uh, on trial. We're going to watch Paul as he leaves Jerusalem and heads to four different trials this summer. Uh, he actually gets on a ship that sinks. Uh, but all kinds of amazing things happen in the midst of these trying circumstances, and we're going to talk about them again today. Can I pray for us as we get into God's Word? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your Word now. Uh, use it in our lives. I thank you for all the kids being in the room. I pray this goes quickly. And that, uh, that, but but even as, as we try to, you know, just ingest the things that we're reading here in the story of Paul, uh, remind us of, of your work around us. Help us to see when you open doors. Help us to follow you through them. Help us to uh, give an account of the joy that is in us because of your grace to us. Uh, get me out of the way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever said this to someone? Hey, you never know. It's going to show up right here. Hey, you never know. It's going to be back in a little bit. But hey, you never know. Just trust me. It's, it's in there somewhere. You never know. Has anybody ever said that to someone? You just never know. Who's an optimist? Anybody here an optimist? This is one of the optimist's favorite lines. You never know. This could work out. I mean, it's been raining for four days straight, but we could still have the picnic today. You never know. Uh, you know, the, the, the gas is on E, and it's been on E for the last 50 miles, and it's 40 miles to the next gas station. But you never know. It's a true statement. It is, it is a true statement because we've already established this. Humans have now and then, but not then. We don't have the future. God holds the future, thankfully, but us, we just don't know. And so every time you say you never know, I mean, it might be less likely, but it's a true statement. You never know. I was uh, marked as I was uh, preparing for this, you know, by all the times that God has done things in my life that got me to where I am in life that I never saw coming. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're sitting next to her or him. Huh. But for me, it's, it's always been my jobs. I've, I've hardly ever applied for the jobs that I've gotten. Uh, just, and that, that's not saying anything great about me. It's just God has kind of manipulated and moved things to the point where I just ended up in a job. I was a youth pastor in Pekin, Illinois. I had a friend that I'd met at a, a summer camp that I worked at during college who uh, you know, was in my wedding. We became great buds. He was from Washington State. We hardly ever saw each other, but he took a job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You gotta follow me because I'm trying to talk fast. And he's at this big, huge church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the junior high position comes open at that church, and he says, wouldn't it be great as friends for us to work together on the same staff at the same church? And I said, yes. He says, you know what? I'm going to get you an interview. You come on up here. You blow their socks off, and we'll start working together. It'll be great. I was like, sure, fine, whatever. I mean, at least I'll get to see you. So I drove out to Milwaukee, Wisconsin from central Illinois, and I was, anybody ever walked into a place and you're like, oh, this is just not it. This is not going to work at all. And not because it wasn't a great place. It was an amazing place. It was a church of 10,000 people in the mid-90s. It was a monster church. I was 23 years old. Got a Bible school degree, and I'd been working with 50 kids faithfully in this little church in central Illinois. Uh, but this was kind of out kicking my coverage. Now, they were still gracious, though. They gave me a great interview, showed me around, showed me where they, you know, did all the TV production and all this stuff, even back in the midnight. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, but I got the sense that this probably wasn't going to be the next place that I worked. So as the interview was ending, I, I, I walked into the, the bathroom there in the church. And uh, just so you know, there's some rules in a men's bathroom. Okay, ladies, I know you huddle up and go together. But fellas just want to get in and out and, and not see or talk to anybody. You guys, you with me? 
Like there's urinal rules. You don't, you know, I'm not gonna go into them. You can look them up, they're online. But, uh, but like, uh, you know, so, so I, was, I was exercising the rules. I, I came in, I went to the farthest post, all right? Um, but there was only like two or three of them and, and this guy comes in behind me and, and we had that awkward moment where we make eye contact in the men's room. And it's a Christian, you know, place, it's a church, so now the obligatory Christian greeting is, you know, hey, hey, you know, did one of those, you know, the, the chin, hey, and, and uh, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how it even started, but I felt nervous and awkward, and I was like, hey, you work here? It was a Tuesday at a church, yeah, he works here. Anyway, uh, and he said, no, 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 I don't work. I used to work here. I worked here for a long time, but I don't work here anymore. I was like, oh, no way. And he says, yeah, my name's Ian. And I said, oh, my name's Mark. He said, what are you doing here? He says, well, you know, I just came up. My buddy Dave works here. and I've been talking to them to get this junior high. Oh, I totally know about the junior high job. He said, yeah, you know. And so, uh, and that was it. I mean, it was just long enough for us to wash our hands and get out of there. All right, man, good to meet you. See you, bye. And I, I got my car and I drove home. Two and a half months later, a letter came in the mail from a church in Dallas, Texas. I, I didn't know anybody south of Illinois. This was weird. Open it up, and the last name was the same last name as the pastor that I had interviewed with in Milwaukee. It was his son, and his son was looking for a, a high school junior high pastor in his smaller church in Dallas, Texas, and he had heard from his dad that this younger guy had interviewed with him and probably wasn't going to work out in the context that, you know, he was pastoring him, but he might be a good thing for you, to, or a good guy for you to look at, and so uh, he, he wrote me this letter. Pete wrote me this letter. And he says, I'm going to have my executive pastor call you. I was like, okay, cool. So a couple days later, the executive pastor at the point in time calls me. And he says, hi, my name's Ian. I don't know a whole lot of Ians. It's like, Ian, we talked some longer, and he says to me after a little while, he says, your voice sounds so familiar to me. I was like, yeah, I just met an Ian like, like a week and a, or th- three months ago. I just met an Ian. Where'd you meet him? In the Elmbrook bathroom? He's like, that was me! And I was like, no way! And he's like, that was awkward, right? And I was like, totally, it was terrible. And we laughed. And we talked, and I got hired, and Ian and I laughed for the next three or four years until he moved on to his next post. And this is kind of how God works. Pay attention in the bathroom, fellas. Could be your next job. You just never know. You never know. Because here's the deal. Henry Blackaby wrote this uh, early in the 70s. He says, God is always a work around us, and he's always inviting us to join him. He's always doing something. He's, his sovereign will is constantly being accomplished, even when we don't notice or see it. And he's given us opportunities to join him in his plan for this universe and this plan for humanity. Even as Paul's going through all these trials and uh, ships are sinking, God is still in the midst of his harsh and difficult circumstances, bringing opportunities for him to give the gospel in these places he would have never had the chance to if he had just tried to do it by himself. But God got him in front of governors and kings. He took him to Rome. He was able to testify to the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ in amazing ways. Because he was willing, get this, he was willing that when God opened the door, it doesn't matter where it happened, he was willing to step through. God's the great door opener. He is the great door opener of your life. You may not see the door ajar, but it's, it's there often. And he gives us chances to make much of him in all kinds of situations. We're going to watch that happen in the life of Paul today. And here's my hope for us as a church. I pray that we are step-through Christians. 
And when God opens the doors for us to move uh, forward with him and his will, not just for our lives, but for the lives of other people, when God opens the doors for us to be able to say something on his behalf to those who don't know him yet, my prayer is that we would see the door open, we'd walk through that door, we'd meet him in there, and we'd follow him in the things that he's called us to. I'm going to read you a bunch of verses here in uh, chapter 24 of the book of Acts, and uh, I'm going to go fast, so stay with me. A uh, little recap. Remember last week, uh, Paul was in Jerusalem. He had uh, been dragged from the temple, accused of bringing a Gentile into that sacred holy place. He had been brought uh, out to be killed by the, the Jewish leaders there in the temple, but the Romans, yay, the cavalry, they had come to his rescue. They had arrested him. Uh, a couple other things happened. He caused a couple different riots in uh, 48 uh, hours, and uh, Uh, He was sent back to his cell. If you remember at the end of last week, we talked about the fact that the Jews who hated him so much they wanted to kill him, they took a vow not to eat until he was dead, and they actually concocted a plan to get him out in the open so they could finish off uh, their their commitment. Uh, But uh, Paul's nephew, talk about you never know. Paul's nephew was privy to the plan. He went to the Romans. They said, we're not having that, and they gave 470 soldiers uh, this detail. Make sure Paul gets to Caesarea alive. So that's what happens. If you finish up chapter 23, you're going to see that that uh, police chief, a guy named uh, Lysias, uh, writes a letter, and he reports all this stuff. Lots of times in the back of Acts, it kind of repeats itself, uh, but Lysias writes this letter to the governor in Caesarea, a guy named Felix, and he explains everything that's happened in Jerusalem. And and Felix uh, sees that uh, Paul has gotten there, and at the end of chapter 23, he says, okay, well, we're going to wait till you know, your accusers get here, and then I'll you know, have this next round of court with you. So that's where we pick it up here in chapter 25. It says, after five days, the high priest, Ananias, the, the chief uh, accuser of those who are in Jerusalem, he comes down uh, with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. This is my cousin Vidding. Anybody seen that movie? This is the lawyer. Tertullus is the lawyer. Uh, and they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And so Tertullus gets up uh, when he'd been summoned and began to accuse him, saying, uh, since, excuse me. Yeah, he began again to accuse Paul, and this is what he said. He started with a bunch of posterior uh, 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 kissing. Here we go. Um, uh, since, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation... In every way and in every and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. Hail Felix, the governor of the region that is Palestine, this, this area uh, where the county, county seat government seat is Caesarea. Thank you for all that you've done. You're such a great governor. Does anybody want to guess if this was true or not? It's completely not true. Felix was one of the worst to govern in Palestine ever. Felix was the only slave on, on Roman history record to ever ascend to a level of, of government uh, you know, politics. He, he was born, he and his brother Paulus were born into the home of Antonia. Antonia was the wife of a, of a, of a king, a kingly type, and her son Claudius would become Caesar. Guess what Claudius did with his buddies who were his servants growing up? He emancipated them, and then he gave him uh, positions, gave them positions in his government. And eventually, as, a, as this guy Felix was hanging around in, in Palestine, he was so unscrupulous, so vicious, and so conniving that he figured out a way to, to depose the uh, current governor and put himself in that seat. Once he got there, uh, the historians tell us, Josephus and others tell us that, that he was the most ruthless governor 
that the region had ever seen. If anybody came against him, he would kill them. Kill their families. It was kind of like the mafia running the government. He was none of these things that Tertullus had called him. He, he was vicious. And, uh, but this is how you start a trial. Try to get the judge on your side, right? So that's, that's how he started. He goes on, verse five. He says, uh, but, or verse four, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. It's gonna be a little longer than briefly, but here it comes. For we have found this man, speaking of Paul, who is a plague. He's one who stirs up riots against all the Jews throughout the world. And he is the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's starting to tick off all of the charges that they had brought against Paul. He, he, he was a plague. He had, he had basically incited riots. This wasn't true. Paul never went out to incite riots. They just kind of found him. All right. He also said he's, he's a dangerous ringleader of a, of a sect. That word sect in Greek is heres, which will eventually be the word heresy. All right? And it means to be kind of apart from the norm or apart from the truth. He says, you know, Paul is this ringleader, and he's kind of got him there. Paul is a leader in the Christian church. But it's not a dangerous sect. The Christians had never declared war on Rome or the Jews or anything like that. They were just trying to be Christians. And Jews didn't like it. It goes on and it says, and he even tried, go back for me, he even tried to profane the temple. (laughs) Uh, Not true. He'd been accused of trying to bring a Gentile into the temple, but he never had. False accusation. And then this is, this is a very clean, or, you know, sterilized form of what actually happened. So we seized him. Citizen arrest. Is that what was really happening? No, they were going to kill this guy outside the temple. Tertullus leaves that part out. But the, the, this was their claims. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined uh, Ananias and the rest who had come from Jerusalem, they joined in the charge, affirming all these things that were uh, being coming out of Tertullus's mouth. And, and when the governor had nodded uh, to Paul to speak, Paul replied, same uh, opener, Paul's a smart guy, uh, but not quite as flowery. <laughs> he says, uh, knowing you, Felix, that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, that's a very flat comment about somebody. It's like, hey, I see that you're a man, have a day, you know, not a nice day. Uh, he's, he's, he's leaving all the flowery speech out, but he says, yeah, I recognize the fact that you're in charge, so uh, I, I cheerfully make my defense before you. He goes on and he says, you can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. It was around the time of Passover. He was there with the rest of the Jews. He was just trying to get his worship on because he was Jewish, and he sought to honor God in the Jewish customs. And Listen, these people who are accusing me, they did not find me as disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd. That's not true. Either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city, I was just minding my own business. And neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. They've got absolutely no proof, no video, nothing from a cell phone, absolutely no proof. He goes on and he says, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, he's not saying it is, he says that's what they say it is. Uh, The way, by the way, oh, that's funny, is is, a... is this early name for Christianity. It's kind of, it was like it's, uh, it's Twitter handle. It was, you know, at the way. Um, it was uh, uh, seen as this dangerous cult, uh, but it was well known in the, in the region as the way. So they call it a sect, but listen, I worship the God of our fathers. I am as Jewish as the next Jew. I worship Yahweh. 
I worship the God of the fathers. I believe everything that's laid down by the law. I, I, I understand the Old Testament and I keep the laws. I, 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 I've read and, and seen what's written in the prophets and I, I hold that to be true as well. He says, I have this hope in God, which these men themselves accept. We, we agree, but there will be a, and here's, here's our hope, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. He says, listen, man, these guys are all fussed out, but, but we're saying the same things. It's just they're coming at it from history, and I'm coming at it from Jesus. It's a different lens. We have different perspectives. They think the Messiah is yet to come. I've met him, and it's changed my life. I don't know what they're so fussed out about. I'm trying to help them see the truth. So Paul goes on in his, his defense. He says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I'm not trying to be a rabble-rouser. I'm not trying to incite riots. Now, after several years, he continues with the story, I, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings at the temple. And while I was doing this, they found me purified according to the law in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia. This is, this is really funny. If you actually read the Greek, you could kind of almost hear Paul's voice getting louder. Because, you know, Paul, as we saw last week, he, he, he was prone to, you know, some, some anger, some, uh, uh, some, some elevated speech. And so he's about to talk about his accusers, the ones uh, from Asia, these Jews from Asia, if you read a couple chapters earlier, were the ones who said, Paul brought a Gentile into the temple. And so he's about to talk about them, and, and he cuts himself off wisely because he doesn't want to say things that will ruin his defense. He says, these Jews from Asia, stop. Well, they ought to be here. They ought to be here before you, and they ought to be here to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Listen, if we're going to really have a legal trial here, my accusers should be present in the court. I should be able to face those who are accusing me. And they were nowhere to be seen. Everything was hearsay. Hopefully, in our court system, the justice being what it should be, if this court came to, a, you know, to the, a judge, he'd just throw it out. It would be on the district attorney to gather more evidence and to make a more plausible case. <laughs> Uh, the story goes on, verse 20. <coughs> or, else, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. He turns to Ananias and those who were in Jerusalem with him who are claiming that you know, he, he was uh, being insubordinate and a rabble rouser. He says, listen, I didn't do anything other than this one thing. We talked about this last week. That I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Paul had, if, everybody remember that last week? Paul stood up in his trial and he says, listen, I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus and let me start with something that I think you can all relate to, especially his Pharisee brothers. Uh, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. But he apparently forgot that the, the, the Sanhedrin, this, this group that was trying him in Jerusalem, was partially Sadducee and partially Pharisees. The Sadducees were another group that didn't believe in eternal life or in, in the resurrection of any kind. And so they started having a theological debate here at Paul's trial. It got so heated, they started yelling and throwing things. The Sadducees got so mad at Paul for his claims that there was a resurrection that they charged the, the witness stand. And they wanted to shred them. They wanted to tear them apart. And so the Romans had to stop that trial. Paul says, my bad. My bad. Probably shouldn't have brought that up. It wasn't what I was going for, but it's what we got. If I have one mistake, it was that I brought up the resurrection. He goes on to say this, though. He says, but listen, Felix, having a rather accurate, oh, sorry. 
Paul's done. Now Felix is going to have his reaction to it. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, uh, an understanding of what it was about, he put them off. Here's, here's what Felix knew about Christians. They weren't bothering anybody. In fact, they were a huge help. You know, uh, in the government, you know, we have our separations of church and state, but most of the time when you talk to government officials, they appreciate at least the, the good churches, the ones that are honest and honoring uh, and that serve. They, they love that the church gets involved and tries to help in the community and civically, you know, makes a difference. Uh, Felix was apparently in the same vein. He, he, he understood the way. He saw that they were, uh, you know, generally doing good uh, for mankind. And so he didn't feel like he could make this judgment. He knew that the Jews that were accusing him didn't have enough uh, to hold him. But we're going to find out in a few verses that he was uh, concerned about his voters, which he didn't really have. But he wanted everybody to like him. Isn't that great that uh, you know, politicians these days don't feel that way? Anyway, uh, uh, he wanted everybody to like him. And so uh, because he was uh, beholden to the Jews, uh, he didn't judge in their favor, but he didn't just let Paul go. He put them off, and he did it the ways that we do it. When we don't want to do stuff that we want to do, he made an excuse. Hey, when, when Lysias, this police chief from Jerusalem, gets here, uh, that, that's when I'll decide your case. He says, put a pin in that. We're just going to hold. We'll, we'll wait until we get more information. Uh, I'm not going to let him go, so I don't tick you guys off, but I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, just say that it's over. Uh, let, let's just give it some time. So then he gave some orders to the centurion who was in charge of Paul's incarceration. He said he should be kept in custody but have some liberty. Kind of like an ankle bracelet, right? Uh, that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs because just so you know, back then if you went to jail, you didn't get three uh, squares and a cot. You got a cell and if you were gonna live, someone had to bring you the food that you fed off of. And so this was... Felix saying, okay, let people come and visit him, let them feed him, uh, but we'll just keep him until we get Lysias here. Uh, there's no reports in the scripture that Lysias ever comes. In fact, we're going to find out here in a few verses that Paul hangs out for two years in limbo, waiting for this trial that would never happen. Uh, it's a, a most difficult situation. Uh, Paul, other than his Roman citizenship, has nothing in his defense. Uh, no one powerful enough to speak in his place. Uh, he was unwilling, as we're going to see, to pay for, uh, bribes to get him out of uh, prison, which was a common practice in those days. If you paid the judge enough, he'd let you go. Uh, but for two years, he just sits there. And I bet you Paul's sitting in his cell or sitting there in Caesarea and thinking, this was not what I had planned. I wanted to go to Jerusalem. I wanted to share Jesus with all of my brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith. I'm sitting here in Caesarea in a, in a jail cell. How is this moving the gospel forward? But even in these situations, you just never know. You never know. Because look what it says in verse 24. It says, after some days, that, that could mean like a week, that could mean months. But after some time, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. What an interesting development. Felix is married to this girl, Drusilla. Anybody want to guess if she's a piece of work? Yeah, she's kind of equal to her husband. She is the daughter of Agrippa I, uh, and so therefore she is the sister of Agrippa II, who is actually the king or the Jewish king 
in power at the time. Uh, so she's royalty. She's married off to some other guy that she doesn't really like. And so uh, Felix, being the conniver that he is, uh, sees her. She's beautiful. He wants her, and he figures out a way to get her. Uh, steals her away from her current husband. She's Felix's third wife, and this is Drusilla's second husband. Uh, they live in sin, and, and again, she joins him in all of his depraved and uh, you know, ruthless acts. Uh, they're the power couple. They would have been you know, on TMZ and uh, all the websites. Everybody would have wondered what was going on with Felix and Drew, right? Uh, Fee Drew, I guess, would be their name together. But uh, uh, for whatever reason, whatever it was, they decided, you know what? Paul's kind of interesting to me. And he, we got him here. He's not going anywhere. Could have been Drusilla who said this. She was a Jew. She's kind of, you know, growing up with a Jewish faith. Maybe she's curious as to what Paul's saying about this whole way thing. Maybe Felix was like, you know what? We're bored. Let's, let's just go talk to this guy. He's famous for other reasons. Let's just talk to him. And so begins a conversation between the most powerful man in Caesarea in the, in the Palestinian region and the apostle Paul. Paul didn't ask for the appointment, wasn't on his schedule, just one day, knock, knock, knock on his cell door. Hey, governor wants to talk, get up, we're going. And they began a discussion about Paul's faith in Christ Jesus. I'd call that an open door. I'd call that uh, God saying, hey, you know what? I'm at work even though you can't see it. Let's go talk to the governor. And so Paul steps through. Paul steps through. What do we do when God unexpectedly opens the door, especially when it's with someone who doesn't believe like we do? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to tell that person about Jesus. Tell them about our faith in Jesus. It says there in verse 24 that Felix sent for Paul, and he heard, Felix heard Paul speak to him about faith in Christ Jesus. Undoubtedly, Paul explained the gospel. When you get a chance and the door opens with someone in your life, maybe it'll even happen this week. When you get a chance and someone says, why do you go to that church? Why do you give up every Sunday of your life to sit in a room with a bunch of people you don't really know? Well, you get to explain them. I do that because I love Jesus. I do that because Jesus changed my life. I do that because, and then the gospel. And here's my hope for us. We'll, we'll talk about this more this year. But if you don't know how to explain the gospel to someone, I pray that this is the year you figure it out. And I pray that as you figure out how to explain the gospel, you'll have opportunities to explain it over and over and over again as God kicks the door open for you. Because that's our mission. Everybody gets that? Like it's great that we get to come here and we get to hear messages and sing the songs and know each other and love each other and benefit from each other, but the chief end of the church is the mission of the gospel and us reaching people for Jesus Christ. There's not enough Christians, Christians, Every room in this city should be filled on Sunday morning. And it should be filled not with just the people who got mad at the last church. It should be filled with people who haven't met Jesus yet and who are on their way to becoming disciple-making disciples with us. That's the mission of the church. And that comes when Christians tell people the gospel. That's the only way it happens. That's right, brother. And so you and I need to understand how to explain the gospel. Some are like, I don't explain the gospel. Did you pray to receive Christ? Yeah. Well, then you understand a little bit. Do you know verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life? You're on your way. Here's what you need to know. There's a God. He made man. Man blew it. 
God loved them so much that he made a way for them to get out of their blown it. And he sent Jesus to die for your sins and mine so that we wouldn't have to pay for them. If we trust in him, he sets us free. I just did the gospel in three sentences. You can do it too. And here's the deal. Some of you think, I gotta be Billy Graham. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta soup the nuts this. I gotta, I gotta share the gospel. We gotta pray to Christ. I mean, don't think that. Just throw some seeds. Just get it out there. See what the Holy Spirit does with it. Give a chopped up, messed up version of the gospel and watch what God does. I've done that. Two of the young guys that uh, I was friends with in college, I gave the worst gospel presentations ever to them. The first time I told them about the gospel, I'm pretty sure that they both went away thinking they should be Buddhist. <laughs> but you know what? In both cases, God kind of pried open their hearts to the point where they started investigating for themselves and asking questions of themselves. One of my buddies, his name is Tom. I've told you the story before. But I took Tom to a, a Luis Palau crusade, which is kind of Billy Graham Jr., right? But uh, I was hoping Luis could do the work. I'll sit next to Tom. You save him, Louis. No, it didn't work out that way. In fact, Tom was kind of freaked out by the proceedings. And understandably, they were a little freaky in this particular crusade. So he left, and I thought, man, I blew it. But two, three weeks later, Tom and I golfed a bunch, and on this particular day, we're going to go golf. We're standing on the first tee. I'm getting ready to swing, and just something about to hit the first ball, which was Tom's, you know, kind of thing. He would always say something right as you're about to swing, which is totally not etiquette in golf. Don't do that if you're ever out there. But, you know, we had a good laugh, and he's like, no, seriously, I got a question. Remember you took me to that, you know, kind of weird thing at the Civic Center? Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Well, it's kind of made me ask some questions. I know you're a Christian. I know you work at a church. You and Eleanor, I was married at the time. You guys believe what you believe, but. I don't really understand it. Could you, could you maybe in your own words explain to me what this Christian thing is? Longer story shorter, because the kids are here. For 18 holes, Tom would ask me a question, I'd try to answer it. Tom would ask me a question, I'd try to answer it. Tom would ask, and I'd be praying in between shots. It's just how it went that day, right? Lord, give me the answers. And apparently it worked out, because on the 18th hole, instead of us just getting in our cars and going away, we, go, we went over and sat by Tom's car, and in the parking lot of the municipal golf course in Pekin, Illinois, my friend Tom Felderitis put his faith in Jesus Christ, right? Now, here, but here's the deal. Yeah, God. Clap for God. Don't clap for Mark, because Mark took him to a place that was confusing, but God used that confusing experience to open the door of Tom's heart to the point where he would ask questions and we would have enough time, golf takes a long time, to answer those questions, and then the Holy Spirit, at his appointed time for Tom to know Jesus, drew Tom to himself. And I, I, I'm not saying it works that way every time, but I will say to you that every time I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with Jesus, of Jesus Christ with someone that I have seen trust Jesus Christ, it was never once on my schedule. Never once did I say, uh, 9.30 Monday morning, Talk to Tom about Jesus and see him become a Christian. Just doesn't happen. So you tell him the gospel. If you can't tell him, I got, I got to keep going. You, when you tell him the gospel, tell people the gospel. But if 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 they're kind of confused on it, at least tell them your story. How many times do you read in the Book of Acts and Paul just tells his story? I mean, he's launching into it constantly in courts and in in conversations with people. I mean, it's got to be one of the first, it's got to be one of the best known stories in all of Christianity. I was a killer of Christians. I was walking to Damascus to kill some more. I met Jesus, bright light, I know, crazy. But he talked to me, and I gave my life to Jesus, and now I'm the leader of Christians. And I hope you become one too. Paul's sharing that with Felix, and Felix has got to be going, Are you serious? 
And Felix might be able to theologically throw everything else out and be able to deny this and deny that. And like that happens a ton today. We've got Bill Mars and all these people who basically say that, you know, God's not real and have all their scientific evidence for the same. And, and, and so maybe, you know, the gospel is, is, you know, something that they've got some hurdles to get through. But they can't argue with your story. Your story's yours. It's real because it happened to you. And so at least throw the story in there. Not only that, tell people the whole truth about their faith. Tell people the whole truth about their faith. I think a lot of times we kind of just, you know, go halfway with the gospel. We need to express to people their need for a savior. Look what Paul does. As he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix got to learn and say, get out of here. But I find that very interesting. A prisoner says to the governor who's gonna preside over his trial, hey, just so you know, this is the grace side of the gospel and the story of my experience and all those things. But you gotta understand, the gospel is the gospel or the gospel is necessary because people are wicked. And he's like pointing at Felix as he's saying it. People are messed up, Drusilla, Felix, Drusilla, Felix. And he basically talks to them about all the sins that they've committed. He talks to them about righteousness. You know, some people are unrighteous. Some people lack self-control and they step out on their marriages and they just trample over their vows. Some people don't understand that there's a coming judgment. That after death, there is a, a final trial that people will stand before God and give an account for what they've done. And if they haven't received faith uh, by faith Christ, then they will be held accountable for their unrighteousness and their lack of self-control. Now listen, I'm not, you guys know this, I'm not a fire you know, brimstone guy, I'm not holding a, 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 a bullhorn on the corners of, of the streets in Brandon and yelling at people, you know, turn or burn! You know, that, that's not me. But you know what I think you get lost sometimes in modern Christianity is the truth. The truth is, if you don't have Jesus, you spend eternity without God. It's a big deal for people to choose Christ. Don't believe that mishmash, you know, everybody's going to get in in the end, all the religions work. No, if the Bible wanted to say that, it would have said that. It said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through him. That's it. And so there should be an urgency, an honesty in our sharing of the gospel. The final thing is this. Stay available to seekers because they're going to kind of freak out on you. Some of them will just run away. They'll do the runaway. Look what, look what it says in verse uh, 25 again. Uh, he's, he's saying all these things. He's talking about sin and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the reality of us needing saving from sin. And Felix was so alarmed, so freaked out. This isn't kind of like just you know, mildly perturbed. He was like, ah, that he says to Paul, go away. I can't talk anymore. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. You gotta go away for the present, and when, when I get an opportunity, I will summon you, which was another one of his vague excuses. You know, we'll talk again, maybe, but not right now. Yeah, just, just so you know, this week, God may open the door for it. You'll start talking about Jesus, and your friend's gonna be like my buddy Tom when I took him to Louis Palui, right? They're gonna be like, what? You believe that? Really? You're weirder than I thought. And no, we're not having lunch Tuesday, because I need some time to figure you out a little bit. 
But, but, you know, stay in there. Because just like my buddy Tom, a lot of times those people become tell me again people. Tell me again. Now, now look, look at this. Just so you, if you're wondering if Felix was, was kind of a, you know, a dirtbag. Uh, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. He was hoping that Paul would bribe him so that he could get some money. He could let Paul go. Uh, but, but, but as the two years are going, he constantly goes back to have that conversation with Paul again. Hey, Paul. Busy? Oh, that's right. You're in prison. Hey, let's talk. So he, he sent for him often, and he, he conversed with him often. And, and he had those secondary and, and, and you know, tertiary? I don't know. He had several conversations. He was like, hey, that thing you said about grace, I don't see that in any other religion. Can you explain that to me? Hey, you know, this life that you live for Christ, where you don't care if you die, I don't understand that at all. Because I want to hang on to my life with everything I got. How does that work? And Paul patiently answered every question, met every argument the best that he could, now, I pray that happens for you, that if people kind of run screaming in the initial conversation, they'll come back to you. But here's what you've got to prepare for, and this is what's happened for me in the last 27 years of ministry. Sometimes people don't respond. They, they tell me to forget it. I, I appreciate all the time we've had, but I'm good. Sometimes it's because they just don't want to talk anymore. Sometimes they just, they leave. Anybody met someone for a while and known them for a while, and then all of a sudden they get another job or they get reassigned in the military, and we're just not hanging out anymore. That's what happened with Felix. Uh, when two years had elapsed, uh, Felix was succeeded. I don't, we don't, I don't know what maybe the historians tell us, but I don't know where he went, but, but another governor came to Palestine, a guy named Portius Festus. And, and Felix, desiring one more time to make sure the Jews were happy, he just left Paul in jail and just said, you're Portius's problem now. And then he's gone, and we don't have any other record. I don't know if Felix came to know Christ. I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven, right? But here's what's going to happen. You're going to cast seed, and sometimes it's going to land on hard ground. Sometimes it's going to land in places, and it's going to take root for a while, but it's going to get choked out by the straight. Listen, here's the point. Don't worry about the finish. Just be available for the start. Right? Because Paul tells the people in Corinth, listen, you know, Cephas came, and, and he planted, and Apollos watered, and I, you know, in different cases, I was able to harvest. But here's the mission of the Christian. It's just... Put it out there and see what God does with it. You, you know what? Uh, this was a survey years ago. I don't know if it's still true, but you know, 25 years ago, it took about 7.3 interactions with the gospel for the typical Christian to become a Christian. Talking with a, a friend about Christ, going to church and hearing about the gospel, usually like seven different voices had to speak into a person's life before they became a Christian. Just get used to the fact that you might be number two. You might be number four. You might be the first one, and they just run screaming. But here's your mission, Christian. If Jesus has truly changed your life by his grace, if he is the best news that has ever hit the planet, your mission is to share him and lead the rest to our God in heaven. Amen? So now may you and I, as God opens doors, may we be able to follow him through them. May we be willing to say what he's called us to say and leave the rest to him. And may God bring a harvest to this church and every church in Brandon because Christians took seriously the you never know principle of, this, of the faith in Jesus Christ. May we meet him in what he's called us to and glorify him there. Can we stand together? Lord, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and to 
be inspired by the stories of guys like Paul. Lead us, Lord, into life ready, even this week, for the things that you've called us to, to do on your behalf and in your name. Give us the words. Uh, make us um, joyful in the opportunity to share the good news of you. I pray this in Jesus' name.